this is Jay Graydon, and you're listening to Jazz Is, Not What You Think. Jay Graydon is a paradox. His album Bebop was released in 2001, but don't let the title fool you. Sure, Graydon loves jazz, though he's not what most would consider a jazz guitarist. Somewhat of a musician's musician. He's a great guitarist and certainly an in-demand L.A. studio musician who's been featured on great albums from Gino Vanelli and Christopher Cross. But for Graydon, his career has been less about the guitar and more about perfecting his brand of music. While most people don't even know Graydon as an accomplished composer, he's written some of the most memorable and recognizable tunes, like After the Love is Gone, and some of his guitar solos, like the one on Steely Dan's Peg, is considered by the Cognoscenti, to be one of the greatest of all times. Jay Graydon's production and songwriting, which took place sometimes alongside David Foster, landed him credits on albums from Herbie Hancock, George Benson, Manhattan Transfer, Art Garfunkel, and Lou Rawls. So while Jay Graydon has stayed pretty much behind the scenes, it has been, to his own admission, his desire to push artists to the limit in the studio until they got it right. I wanted to start by asking you, and then we'll go back historically. Tell me about Dirty Loops. Tell you about Dirty Loops. Well, uh, I first heard them, and of course my jaw was on the floor. And then um, the, the, the video started getting major hits. I think they got up to over a million hits. And of course it's all the musos watching. Mm-hmm. These guys, Foster said this, and I agree with him. Look, Foster and I are musicians, musicians. Mm-hmm. So is Jeff Picaro, so is Lugather, so is Hungate, so is Page, so is a million other guys I can name, well, not a million, a handful, Dean Parks, Larry Carlton, uh, Steve Morris. You know, I, could, I can name 50, 60 names of incredible musician, musicians, okay? Right. These guys are better than all of us. Wow, that's huge coming from you. Oh, yeah. Foster's the one that said it. In our prime, these guys are better than us. Jonah's an incredible piano player. By the way, I got together with him the other night, and I said, you had to be a prodigy, man. You had had to be a virtuoso as a kid. And he humbly says, well, kind of. I said, play a legit piece for me. He says, What's legit mean? I said, that's jazz lingo for classical. (laughs) And so he played the classical piece, and I was just floored. You know, anyway. Well, I'm going to check them out. Henry, I've never, ever heard a bass player that he's got, you know, he should be a piano player. He's got so much harmonic sense. And it's just ridiculous. And Aaron is just ridiculous. Foster and I went to a gig, uh, a concert, and he plays this 
roll on the hi-hat, man, that sounded like a press roll. He has a closed hat, and it sounds like a million miles an hour fast. And Foster turns over, looks over me, and says, what was that? And I said, I think it was a press roll, but I don't know how you could do a press roll on a hi-hat. So when I went to dinner that night, I said, Aaron, what the hell? How did you do that? He picks up two forks, and he shows me. He said, it's a double-stroke roll. And he did them with the forks almost as fast as he did with the sticks on the table, you know? Wow. Um, Anyway, um, I have total respect for those guys, and they're buddies of mine. I'm the one that talked them in a sign with Foster. And the good news is they sold real well in Japan. You know, when I, had the, when I got together with Jonah the other day, you know, I said, you've got to tell me what the demographic is. What's happening here? Because in L.A., you know, every gig we'd go to, Foster and I would look around and we'd go, Hmm, no chicks, all <laughs> musos, you know? Yeah. This isn't going to work. These guys are good-looking guys. This needs a chick following, but how are you going to get a chick following if you're not playing A minor F, A minor F, A minor F, C, E? I mean, <laughs> I can add a few more chords, but anything past that, man, exponentially loses money. So... Yeah. In so, Japan, yeah. In Japan, they sold a hundred thousand, over a hundred thousand, and it was a lot of girls at the gigs, a lot. So who knows? I mean, you know, all in all, though, man, it wasn't. There's not enough big, a big enough worldwide audience. Uh, Verve didn't pick them up. Foster, you know, Foster's tenure at Verve was over, and. Whenever a new regime comes in, they never pick up anybody anyway. So Danny Bennett, like huge. Danny Bennett didn't dig him? What was that, Michael? Danny Bennett, he didn't dig him at all? One more time. The, Tell me again. Danny Bennett is uh, the sort Andy of took. Bennett? Danny Bennett, son, son, uh, Tony Bennett's son now runs Verve. I don't know who he is. He's Tony Bennett's son. And yeah. he's he's running Verve and he's signing acts and he dropped these guys. Wait a minute, is he he's at Verve? Yeah, Tony Bennett. Well, son. they didn't pick up the option. Wow. They didn't. That's what that's what Jonah told me. So I guess they didn't pick it up. I mean, if he told me they didn't pick up the option, they didn't pick up the option. So why would he tell me? Yeah. So so you know, I guess the big question is. Do they need a record label in 2017? Um, man, you know, all I'm thinking about is how to save the music business. Yeah. And I got to tell you, it's really difficult, man. It's just, I don't know if it's savable. I mean, social media is key, but music's free, man. You know, mm -hmm. unless you can copy guard this stuff somehow, music's free. You're going to listen to a sample of a song. And, you know, even if I hear it through the first chorus, is, why don't I want to buy it? I just heard it. Okay, right. maybe there's more to it, but I'm not a, I'm not a young girl that's going to listen to the lyrics and drool over some good-looking guy, man, as uh, you know, and buy it on iTunes. Right, well, right. Well, I don't, okay, let me tell you something, man. Um, 
Dirty Loops is on hold right now. Let's just let's say that. I, I think I can say that. Okay. Um, because it seems to be common knowledge. I wouldn't be. I knew this before. It seemed to be common knowledge, but on Facebook, on my Facebook page, when people saw me in a picture with Jonah, of course it lit up, wondering what's going on, mm-hmm. and um, it's on hold. That's, wow. that's what's going on. Well, you know, and you, said, uh, you can you, take from that what you may. Yeah, yeah. You can, I, I, you can, I, I'm going to reach out to these guys, but you know, you bring up a really interesting point, and. You know, one of my one of my favorite other musicians is Lyle Mays. And I was talking to Lyle a few weeks back and I asked him if he's going to be making any more records. And he said, no, I don't think so. And I said, why? I said, I said, do you, you left the music business? He said, no, the music business left us. Right. And by the way, before Pro Tools, there were pros. Right. Right. <laughs> That's Dean a, that's Clark a, told me that, but somebody told it to Dean. Yeah. And I think that's a great... Actually, uh, Clarence McDonald told me, but uh, he said Dean told him, and then I asked Dean, and Dean said somebody told him, and that's so. But it's a yeah. great line. It's a great, it's a great line. Now, the Look, other if thing, you want me to hook you up, if you want me to hook you up with Joan, I'll do it. Definitely. Definitely hook me up. Um, what, I'd love to help I you. don't... Just, I... There's, I, I can't tell you any more right now. Okay. I, I'm, I'm dying to tell you more, but I can't. All right. Well, let's, okay. why, why don't you connect the dots, hook us up, and we'll, I'll see what I can do. Yeah, but you, you, let's, you and I, let's, make a, let's have another phone conversation. We'll, we'll, we'll do this offline. Soon. Yeah. And so, so I, man, I, I love so, that, I, it sounds like, look, if you love them, I need to spend a little time with this, with these artists. And, and, but, you know, the other thing you mentioned um, while you were talking about Dirty Loops, um, you know, you have had a really long relationship, professional relationship, um, you know, with probably one of the greatest producers David Foster, and right. you guys go way back. How did you guys meet? Well, when we went to school, they didn't have history. Mm-hmm. That's a joke. <laughs> yeah, second one this night. <laughs> <laughs> or I could say when we went to school, we were so old they didn't have they didn't have electricity. Now, <laughs> anyway, I was working a club gig in Hollywood at the Etcetera Club which was this gangster kind of hangout, um, packed every night. It was a supper club, one of the, the end of the supper cup thing, or the supper clubs, right across from A&M Studios, which used to be Charlie Chaplin Studios. Yeah, yeah. And I think now it's the Muppets studio, uh, building. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Foster, came, Foster had just moved to L.A. from Canada. He was in Skylark the band Skylark. Yeah, I remember. And he came up to me, and then during the break, um, the band would go out in the back patio and smoke weed. Mm-hmm. Those days are long gone, but at the time, they weren't. So, yeah. and I'm, you know, Foster says, hey, man, you play good. Foster said I gave him the shine. 
Yeah. And I said, I probably didn't give you the shine, man. I was probably just buzzed. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he said, I want to hire you. I was doing record dates at the time. I had already been doing record dates, and I'd send subs to the gigs when I when I had night record dates. It was just a gig to keep me playing. It was it was a great gig. It was with Maxine Weldon, a singer. She sang uh, two shows, and we played three sets. And it was a hardcore bop, man. We got to play whatever we want, and the people dug us, man. A movie wow. star hangout, a pimp hangout. I mean, the whole thing, man, was like <laughs> surreal, you know? And so, uh, felt like the 60s? Uh, the 60s. 70s, or very 70s. early. Yeah, very early 70s. Okay. Very early. Okay. So Foster says he hires me for a record date. Uh, it was for a Skylark tune. And I'm going to the studio, I'm listening to the track. And, the, and after I listened to the track, I said, who's the piano player? He said, I am. <laughs> I said, you play real well. <laughs> so I did the guitar stuff he wanted me to do. And I also used to program synth a lot. I had a 2600 and some other stuff. And I programmed some synth stuff for him for that. And then we became best of buddies. Wow. And... Uh, uh, you know, um, we played on each other's records. We had a parallel career. He went into producing slightly before I did. And of course, I played on all of his stuff. Mm-hmm. And he played on all of my stuff. You know, yeah. we had parallel careers. You know? Yeah. Then he, David always wanted to be um, an actual artist. And that's what he continues to, tr- to do. You mm-hmm. know, he's... Um, I think he's working on a Broadway one-man show. If he could pull it off, good for him. Yeah. You know, everybody's got their groove, man. Yeah. Um, but, he well, wants you're... to be surrounded with people. And I, when I'm surrounded with people, man, I'm, I, I'm on fire as far as, you know, like we're talking right now. But yeah. I, I basically like to be left alone in my studio. Yeah. And, um, and you know, make jar records. And do some stuff for hire, you know. Well, you guys, but, uh, I mean, together you wrote, you wrote one of the one of the greatest pop songs of all time, uh, after the love is gone. I mean that you want you, know, you want you want the story. Sure. Foster is at Motown with J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan was a singer. Um, she was on the gong show and she's really a great chick, really cool. Knows how to hang with the guys because she had a bunch of brothers who were all jazzers. Mm-hmm. So, so we did an, Foster's very first production in LA was a, an album with JP. Mm-hmm. I had a couple tunes on it. David had some tunes on it and found some tunes. It was it's really pretty, a pretty good record, man. I got to tell you. Mm-hmm. So, um, he was at Motown. They were trying to sell the album because the guy that owned Sound City Studios funded the album. And David was in the middle of playing a song on piano, and he couldn't remember the chorus. And he ad-libbed the chorus to After the Love Has Gone. He <laughs> called me up right after that and said, I just came up with a great chorus. I'm on my way over. 
I said, great. He plays it for me. I said, I've got the verse start. Da 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 I told him the changes I was thinking of. And then here comes the B section. He nails that right away. And then he said, well, one of us said, let's call Champlin to write the lyric. So we did. Then he played the song for Earth, Wind, and Fire when he was co-producing, or no, go. He actually did have a, get a got a point on the I Am album, I think. Um, uh, he wrote all the songs with Maurice, like in the song. Mm-hmm. He played the song for Maurice. Maurice said he wanted to cut it. Oh, at that time, Foster was producing Champlin. So Foster called me up and he said, look, man, I don't want to tell Bill he can't record the song. Because if Maurice does it, the old, the old school rule was... Uh, you don't record um, a song and while somebody else is going to release it. Mm-hmm. So I called up Champlin and I said, uh, Bill, David asked me to do this. And I said, I'm 100% into having Earth, Wind & Fire recorded because we know they'd pull a hit. He says, do you think I'm stupid? I said, no. He said, totally cool by me. We pull it from my album. Wow. So, yeah. And, and um, the, the reason why that song sticks with me as one of my favorite pop songs is it's rather complex. It's it's It was atypical for the time where I remember actually sitting in my car, hearing it for the first time on the radio and saying, what is this? And it really just made me pause and listen carefully on a sort of a time of day and from a radio station that at the time I really wasn't listening to music carefully. And and it it had lots of cool changes to it that really made it stand out. I'm sorry, Mark. Well, Mike, what was the last thing you said? A friend of mine just walked in the door. No problem at all. I was just saying, you know, the song had... So it was it was had complex changes that if How you about were, a lot of complex changes. Yeah. How about the fact that it goes from B major seventh with the D sharp or E flat being the common tone for the first note of the chorus, which is E flat, the C minor seven chord. It works so smoothly. It's so melodically delicious. Yeah. Um, you know, um, it's like uh, it's just total ear candy, yeah. which reminds me of a story about Johnny Mandel that I'll tell you in a minute. I love you. OK, well, anyway, hey, man, uh, we uh, we we wrote a standard, man. But here's the funny part. Nobody understands that the melody to the chorus is not the high part. In the mix, Phillips' part is so loud, and that's the harmony part. The melody, in order to hear the melody, you've got to listen to my album, Jay Graydon Airplay for the Planet, and Champlin singing that version. And between me and Bill, this is our favorite version. Hmm. And you will hear the correct melody for the chorus. Wow. Because, you know, you get people to try to sing along. 
I heard, um, uh, who was the guy that was in? Mervyn Warren. Mm-hmm. He sang a gig with Foster, and on the gig, man, when he sang the chorus, he sang the harmony part. So he sang the verse, you know, that's in the lower register. I mean, this thing's got, I don't even know how long it is. What's that, a two and a half octave spread? I don't even know. Yeah, yeah. You know, so nobody knows the real melody unless they listen to my version. Wow. So anyway, we're really bizarre, huh? That's that's great. Well, it, it, you know, it, it makes sense because it does what songs that are that great do, and that is at a certain level, if you understand music, you appreciate its complexity. Yet if you don't understand music, you just get into the groove and you just love how it how it you know grabs your heart. When when Foster and I went to the forum to hear Earth, Wind, and Fire play it for the first time, we're sitting there, and Maurice goes, "Everybody sing along," and the chorus <laughs> comes up. Yeah, the place was silent. Foster and I looked at each other and said, "The harmony part's too loud in the chorus," but we didn't mix it. We had nothing to do with it, you know. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so tell me about, fast Johnny, fast Johnny Mandel story. Okay, I love it. You reminded me of something. I don't know if you can use this or not. It's going to be your call to edit it out. It's up okay. to you. All right. So jo- Johnny Mandel, as you know, is a great orchestrator, man. Just unbelievable. Yeah. You know, great songwriter. Okay. I was at Village Recorders on a record date in Studio A, and in Studio B uh, was Donald and Walter recording FM. <laughs> and Donald was doing the vocal. And because I am a alumni of Steely Dan, sure. um, I get uh, going by security. It's no problem. Because um, they're so insulated, man. These guys are so non-Hollywood. It's unbelievable. That's what I love about them, man. Me too. They're, they're, they're just not, <laughs> not jive at all, man. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and they're brilliant. They're quiet. And they speak when they have something to say. You know, I just love these guys, man. Yeah. Perfect. Well, anyway, too. so Donald singing FM, and, you know, I'd heard the tune from the top through the, he was, did a path all the way through. And, of course, man, that's one of the greatest tunes ever. Ever. And I said, whoa, man, what a great song, man. What a great vocal. And I said, who's doing those string pads? Who wrote the string pads that have the six, nine, major, seven chord voicings in them? I said, I love those voicings, man. They're just gorgeous. And and Donald said, "Uh, Johnny Mandel. (laughs) Well, I said, thanks, bro. I'll see you guys soon. I split because it was time to go back into the other room. So when I was producing the Dion Warwick album, I wrote a song called For You with Rich Page and John Bettis. Oh, yeah. Um, Really a melodic, pretty song. That album never saw the light of day. It's too bad because it's good. Uh, Because Barry Gibb was doing an album with Dion at the same time, and I didn't know. And I called Clive Davis, and I said, what's going on, man? He says, well, your album will be released first. What are you worried about? I said, that's what I'm worried about. You're sitting there with a Barry Gibb album in the can. The second nothing, there's no action, you're going to just, Quit working it and work the other one, which is what happened pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I called Johnny and I said, uh, there's this tune of mine. I want those really delicious changes, man. Six, nine, major, seven voicings, blah, blah, blah. 
And Johnny says, you mean those kind of cords you want to stick your dick into? (laughs) (laughs) I was on the floor, man. I was on the floor. I was laughing so hard. Anyway. Now, did you Use ever? It or not. A, I, 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 that's a great story. Did you did you ever wind up getting something from Johnny? Never what? Do you ever wind up getting the music from Johnny? Oh yeah, he did the charts. Oh I great! Used Johnny a bunch of times. I used Johnny a bunch of times. I did an or- orchestra album. Well, one side of an orchestra album with the Blue Rawls, and I had Johnny write two charts, and I had Jeremy Loving write two charts. And there's a story that goes with that. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've spent my life, man, when I was 14, when I started playing, I met a bass player who had perfect pitch. And I was immediately jealous because I wasn't born with that gift. And I said, well, what do I do, Jim? How can I get as close to perfect pitch as possible? He says, you learn relative pitch. <laughs> and I've spent years, and I'm always thinking about relative pitch. Whenever I hear a melody, I'm always analyzing it, and I can... The highest that I can whistle is C, and I'm 80% right. Um, even if I'm not, I'll just think and see. If it's easier, and if it's complex, I'll just think and see. And I'm, you know, I got really good at using my ears. Mm-hmm. And as a studio guitarist, it surely helps. I hear a piano part, I'll go, okay, I'm gonna, I should work with that part, you know. So anyway, I'm on the orchestra date and. Jeremy Lovett's running down one of his tunes. I'm not trying to hit my dignity button here. I'm just going to make a point, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, in the middle of the rundown at bar 58, whatever, I stopped him and I said, bar 58, uh, the first violins, that's a mistake. It should, it's not B natural, it should be B flat. And Jeremy says, so you are more than a guitar player. <laughs> I walked into the st- walked out of the control room, and I walked in the studio, and I said, "I am sick of hearing that." Why does everybody think guitar players are idiots? I'm a first call session guitarist. How do you think I got to where I got without ears, man? I spent years and years, and I'm ran away, man. And I have a bunch <laughs> of buddies that were in the orchestra like John Guerin and Chuck DeMonaco and some other guys. And they're going, cool out, man. Cool out, Jay. It's all cool, man. Just, everything's cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just you know, heard that once. I heard that one too many times. That's all. Yeah. Well, you, you know. know it, and I'm, that wasn't, I'm not hitting my dig me button, Michael. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a thought process, man. That's what people think. They think just because you're a guitar player, you're a musical idiot. You know? Yeah, I, I guess yeah, maybe but... one of the reasons I never thought that is because my favorite guitarists are are really also great writers, uh, and they they listen and they hear things, and and you're certainly one of them. And you know, it makes sense the fact that you hear things that when you mention Steely Dan, that your solo and Peg was so memorable that guitarists wanted to play that. Um, it, because obviously you heard things when Donald and Walter said, here's the tune we're thinking about. Well, I'm the seventh guy to play a solo. They had six other guys try, and 
when I walked into the door, Fagan said, I don't know what's so different, difficult about that. It's just a 13-bar blues. That's his dry sense of humor, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Donald, Donald's great. By the way, everybody that I've seen play, look, man, you know, that was that night. I'm always five milliseconds away from hitting a musical brick wall when I'm playing solos. If I play something horrible, if I just, I'll just go to a position. My, I'll just say, brain, take my fingers somewhere you want them to go, and let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where that solo came from because I'd already tried a bunch of my, dig me my semi pop jazz shit, and uh, there he and Donald says, no, think more blues. So I'm thinking, okay, more blues. Where can I use blues? C major seven to B to a G two over B. Okay, well I could get dominant on the G chord because it's just it's a it's a, a two you know it's a the voicing's one two three five over the B. So okay, there. I, so that's what I'll do. And I just try to intertwine the dominant seventh and the scale through those changes. Sometimes. Even on the major seventh chord, it may show up for a second, but the intent is to get to the G chord in the bluesy fashion. So I'm just playing, man. If I make a really, if I play a really ugly note, rewind. Let's do it again. <laughs> if you don't take chances, man, you're going to play licks. Right, so and I, you know, and that's a that's a really good point, Jay. You know, there are a lot of really cool guitar solos out there that are licks. But your guitar solos, I think the reason why I always enjoyed, whether it was a Christopher Cross or or Gino Vanelli or whoever, was that your solos were almost like a trans. You were you're taken somewhere. You know, I remember when I was taking guitar as a kid, uh, guitar lessons. I had this great jazz guitar teacher, and he always said, you know, I don't care what you play, what style, your solos should tell a story. And your solos That's tell right. stories. Yours That's tell right. stories. That he's right. You're you're telling a story. It's got to have a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. You're telling a story, man. And by yeah. the way, any, every time I've seen people play the peg solo online, um, they don't play it. There's a bunch of optional ways to play some stuff, and nobody played it like I played it. Yeah. Um, but I, I, it's in my, um, I did a, a DVD of the Jay Great and all for 20th anniversary of a tours, tours we did in Japan and Europe. And within that uh, four DVD set, I do explain the solo in full because a couple of weeks before that, Dean Parks called me up and said, I'm playing at the Library of Congress with Fagan, and one of the songs we're going to do is Peg. He said, how do you do such and such and such and such bar? And I said, Dean, for you, Dean really helped me get started in the studios. When he put the word out, man, I became first call overnight. Wow. Um, so when Dean, and the reason he did it, man, is because, look, he knew I could play the groove. He sat next to me on dates, and he knew I could read. Yeah. So, so he, so he straightened me out. Anyway, so um, I did a video for Dean showing him everything. I explained, I relearned it, 
and I showed him where I, how I played everything, and I sent it to him. And then I heard him play me the audio that his wife recorded on her cell phone, and I got to tell you, it was scary, man. He sounded like me. <laughs> and, and he also said, man, you were on fire that night, and I have as much respect for that solo as you do. And I said, well, I don't really have that much respect for it. That's <laughs> not just <laughs> Hey, look, man, once again, not trying to hit my dig me button. We're just talking, man. I'm getting too old to hit my dig me button. Well, I mean, you, um, you, you're, I don't see it that way at all. I see it that, you know, as someone who's followed your career, you know, when I look at, for instance, you remember, I, I we signed Al Jarreau later in his career. But when I look at his great albums, they're the ones that you produced. When I go back and listen to Manhattan Transfer and say, what were my favorite Manhattan Transfer records? It, Extension is the one you produced. There's something that you do that is so rare. And it's not, and, and I, I'm glad you said it because you, you beat me to the punch. It's your solos transform people, but it's not just about the guitar playing. There's something in that mix. There's something in the creation of that sound, whether, like I said, whether it's Christopher Cross, it was Manhattan Transfer earlier in their in their career, whether it's Al Jarreau in kind of mid-career, there's there's that there's that certain something that you do that makes it happen. Well, first of all, most singers hated me because I'd work them so hard because I wanted to feel great. And I want it to be in tune. My ears do not like out of tune. <laughs> um, my, it drives my brain crazy. And I'm not saying auto-tune is the way to go. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I just want, I have to have the pitch center. So on every record I did, I worked the singers hard. And, of course, they were, you know, behind. Listen, I heard all the stories, man. You know, everybody kind of got pissed off. Um, but I said, listen to it 30 years later and tell me if it holds up. Right. Well, it's been 30 years later, and it has. And George Benson, believe it or not, was totally with me, man, on this. He worked as hard, he worked as, hard as I wanted to work him. Yeah. And the same with Donny Osmond, believe it or not, on an album that we never got released. It's a long story. And he's really a good singer, man. Believe yeah. me. You'd, yeah, you wouldn't you'd think so. But believe me, man, he can sing. Um, um, so tell, yeah, so you, know, talk, I, I just, huh? you, you sing too. And, and, and Randy and tell what's going on with J J A R. Jar. Yeah. Capital I, I, J, J, J. I thought it was for J and Randy. For J and Randy. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's why I always call it J A R cause jar. I thought you were like unscrewing a jar, but, but I, but I, but I, I love that record, and what are you still doing, Jar? Yeah, man, I'm. I'm. Just the last album's taking forever, man, because I keep getting paying gigs, <laughs> and be, between paying gigs, I'm ready to mix a thing. I've got four tunes mixed. You know, I'm trying to. Um, I'm talking to the record company about doing a Jarro anthology, and I'm trying to make this happen. Um, they don't think it's going to sell as much as I think it's going to sell. So I'm going to make another offer 
to do it for less. And I'm talking like 50, 60 songs. I'll remaster everything. Plus, I know all the outtakes. Nobody knows where, what's what. I know the alternate takes. There's at least six completed alternate takes of songs, and some of them are better than what was released. Wow. There's some unreleased stuff. There's all kinds of stuff. I'm the only one that knows. If well, I croak, it'll never <laughs> happen. Stay with us. Now, but you wrote a lot of those tunes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. What, that's, that's what a lot of people don't know. You not only played and produced, you wrote those songs. Yeah, I did. I co-wrote them with Al and, 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 and Foster. Now, there's another story here. Uh, hold on one second, Michael. Come on, sure. guys, let's go. I'll talk to Michael in the car. We're going to switch over to Bluetooth in my car because we're on our way to Costco, and I'm with my one of my closest friends, Don Roberts, and his son, Leo. Fantastic. This will, I, huh? this will be like carpool karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going by my girlfriend's room right now. I don't want to, she's just uh, busy, and I don't want to make any noise. Okay, so I'm outside now, so now I can talk louder again. All right. Um, well, um, yeah, man, there's some really great Tarot stuff. I remember I had this idea, man, that just wouldn't go out of my brain. And the melody, if here's the root, here's the root, the melody, bomb, the melody would start going, would be da 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 you know the song I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. About? Yes. What's uh, the name of it? I, hold on, hold on. Oh, is it from this time? Nope. Nope. It's, so it's from either Jero or... I'll, just tell, you, I'll, tell, I'll tell you the name, man. Well, oh, I can, I, I'll get it. I'll get it. Stay stay with me. Uh, all right. Uh, from, you just have to tell over, Leo. I know what, it was, what, Michael? If it wasn't this time, it was either Breaking Away or Jero. It, it was probably Jero. I'm not yeah. even sure. I do remember the name of the tune, though. I think it is Jero. There's going to be about a five-second oh, pause. Oh, wait, wait. Bluetooth. It was Save Me. You're correct, Michael. Hey, what do I win? Uh, you win a free trip to the Bahamas. <laughs> okay. Can you hear me? Michael, can you hear me? I got your Bluetooth just fine. Good. Um, and so here's how what went down. That melody was going on in my head, man. And the chord changes, the beginning chord changes were going on in my head for like two weeks. And I, I kept telling Foster, we got to set up a night to write with Al because this tune I'm not, this is, I'm, I'm stumbling to try to go, get this tune any farther. So um, we went over there, and in the typical David Foster genius fashion, I played him the melody, da 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 the chords like A major 2, uh, A2 or A major 9, I can't remember. da 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 um, C sharp, uh, C sharp, I can't remember. Whatever. I had yeah. to sit down and mess with it. Anyway, and so I, you know, I get three bars and then Foster goes, da 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 da
he just nails it. And then we repeat it. So there's, there's the verse, and there's the B. And then the chorus, one, one of us came up with a melody. Al, maybe it was, Al was there. Maybe he was involved with the chorus. But, hey, man, that turned, that turned out to be a delicious song, man. Great song. But, you know, it, it, it almost, it, it's almost as if uh, Foster completes your sentence, and you sometimes complete his sentence. That's true. Well played. Actually, that happens when we're talking. That's great. I'll say, I know what he's going to say, and I say it. He knows what I'm going to say, and he says it. You know? Yeah. Well, that's... Now, I know that... Go ahead, Jay. Go ahead, Michael. I was just going to say... I also know that you kind of you know, like to write not only music, but you like to write editorial. Well, I mean, I've been, I, I'm, you know, I wrote 3,000 pages of how to, a how to recording book with Craig Anderton. Mm-hmm. You know, Craig, the, the oh, editor, yeah. I don't know who, but, all right, Craig knows how to write articles, okay? Oh, and he knows how to write books. It was right in the middle of the transition from analog to digital, and I was taking the analog approach. It just, I spent two years on this, man, and it just never, we never finished it because it was like one step forward, two steps backwards. Something would come out that would, I would have had to have gone back and changed a bunch of stuff. You know, a new piece of digital gear had come out. It was just in a bad transition yeah. for me to do this. So Craig grabbed whatever he could, and we used it for articles. And the ironic thing is, the very first article that was uh, that uh, Craig extracted from was uh, a book on recording bass. Wow. And we were nominated. For, we were nominated for a Maggie. Hey man, I was thrown out of English class in college because the teacher couldn't read my writing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. But I observed, I observed how Craig edited my stuff, and then I became pretty good at it. Yeah. Hey, I, you know, the truth is, is that my editors over 35 years made me a better writer because they, they, they were merciless. They didn't say, oh, well, he's the boss, so yeah, we're going to run it. They'd call me up and say, by the way, that piece you just turned in, that's the worst piece of shit I've ever read. And I literally have to go back and rewrite it. So before we go, I know I know you're a big fan of Phil DeGroy. Oh, boy. Uh, before, let me tell you one thing. Tell I me. still don't know where to use the semicolon. I still don't know <laughs> when to use it. Don't That's use it. That's the only it. thing I can figure out. Huh? Just, just don't use it. Right. I just don't. I, I don't. <laughs> By the way, man, I've been working on an autobiography for probably seven, eight years, writing down stories as I think of them. And my uh, personal assistant, Kirsten, who lives in Umia, Sweden, and runs my life out of there, I mean, she's brilliant, man. She's got all the stuff. She's been organizing it. And um, I, I'd be screwed without her, man. I'll tell you something. She's unreal. Um, and my webpage, look at my webpage. That's all her, man. She knows more wow. about me than I do. Well, you know, um, the, I think what will make a very interesting Jay Graydon book 
is you have so many stories for making so many records with so many great artists that people want to know the stories like you told me today. Those stories are what people want to hear. Man, they're not the amount of stories I have. The well is endless. There is no the depth of the well is infinite. Um, You know, I mean, I got to tell you, there's just and I write them down as I think of them. So and I'm constantly upgrading them. And we also were finding a bunch of pictures that guys had taken and getting permission and stuff. You know, I'll probably get on it by the end of the year when I finally get around a finishing jar. Um, but anyway, let me tell you about Phil De- Degree. Okay, degree. it's spelled. Yeah, it doesn't. It's not spelled like it sounds. Okay, it's, it's it, like a degree, it, like temperature. Do you know how to spell it? D e g r u y. Correct. But go to go to get go to guitarp.com. G-U-I-T-A-R-P. Guitarp. No, G-U-I-T-H-A-R-P or is it A-R-P? I think it's guitar. I can't remember. Guitar. Well, the reason it's called the reason it's called Guitarp is he plays a 17-string guitar. It's guitar. Yeah, guitar. The seven-string guitar consists of a high A string. Other than the six strings, it's got a high A. It's got fan frets, so the tension on the high A, actually it's a shorter scale for that string. It's really hard to, to describe, but then he's got 10 harp strings, and I think it's tuned to, an, to a D-flat uh, scale, maybe A-flat, I can't remember. But he uses the harp strings in conjunction with doing harmonic licks on the Ted Green, Lenny Bro. He's a combination of Ted and Lenny on acid. Wow. He's the the funniest guy I've ever known. His mind is a constant well of unbelievable humor, and it just doesn't stop. I mean, email, we email every day, man, for ever since we met years ago, and I just can't believe what he comes up with. Musically, (laughs) His sense of humor shows up. Great. And the drag with, he just got this new 17 string guitar, and the drag with it with the guitar is it doesn't have a harp pickup. It's got tizos or whatever those things are called, those transducers. Mm-hmm. Well, they're real low level and they're noisy as hell. They pick up RF. You know, I'm a, a technical guy, electronics for a big part of my life. Yeah. So his buddy, his buddy Jay Griggs, nicknamed Bird, um, who's also a very good guitar player, he recorded the stuff for Phil. But no matter how you record it, you can't get rid of this noise without a bunch of noise reduction tools. And it takes somebody like me that knows his playing to not destroy anything musical and to get rid of the string slides and the thumps, and then this and that, because the harp strings can just, what's coming out of those pickups, man, will make the string slide 10 times louder than a string slide. Mm. So I've been working on all of his, all of his songs. Maybe I was going to have 17 songs on them. Some of them are short ditties. But when you hear this, man, you're going to fall off. Your jaw's going to drop to the floor musically. So, you're, so Jay, you're going to put the record out? 
Uh, no, I'm going to help him get a deal. Okay. If it takes Jay Graydon for Sense Phil degree, it'll it'll be that if it'll help in Japan. But uh, I want to talk to you about this, Michael, because you're still attached to Verve, right? Yep. Well, I mean, I, I, we sold the label back in the 90s, but I stay very close in touch with Verve. You know, again, as, as the publisher and the editor-in-chief and as someone who had a record label and works with all the labels, um, you know, I enjoy you the relationship. You and I have to talk about a few things, Michael. Let's do it. Why don't, uh, you, you, why don't we get on the phone? You have The number that I called you on first is my mobile. And I will email, email, I will email you. I'll email you all my contact information, and you call me anytime. I know you're a night bird, so um, call me. What time do you get to sack? Yeah, well, uh, I, I stay up until uh, around 10, 30, 11, only because I get up at around 5, 6 a.m., start my day, Eastern. Do you go to work to read the, the, the pictures, or do you yeah. do it? Uh, okay. Well, I, I integrate both. I mean, I, you know, I, I, it's not as if I do radiology by day and music by night. I kind of spend a couple hours doing radiology, a couple hours doing music, go back to radiology. It depends how my day is progressing. But, but I have pretty long days. But, you know, you call me anytime. Great. I appreciate it. And by yeah. the way, man, well, are you reading film these days or is everything on computer now? Everything is is digital on you know they we use PACS PACS and it allows you to because they're sometimes web based or through a network um, I can literally read on a mobile device and the resolution is wonderful um, but I do have some incredible some pretty incredible workstations I, I was actually on GE's medical advisory board where we actually worked on some of these workstations uh, and. Wow. And it's 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 pretty it's pretty amazing. But you know, it's funny, and it we'll save this for another conversation. But you know, my interest in tech didn't come from music. It actually came from radiology, where back in the early nineties, I was working not it was in a it was not Windows, it wasn't Microsoft, on these very powerful Spark made by Sun Microsystems workstations where we saw that we could distribute really large imaging 3d reconstructed imaging files through a network and that's where when i learned about mp3 and and how you can move files using the you know the mpeg and i was i literally back then i was i cringed from the quality of mp3 and said you know i i'd like to have bigger files so the music will sound good but you know back before this was all being done i was fascinated with the, the digitization of music and the ability to actually move music through networks. But that all came from radiology. Well, listen, man, I've been in electronics ever since I can remember. Ever, I mean, when I was a kid, I was into it. So uh, we, if we get into the MP3 rap, man, we're both going to pull our hair out. And second uh. of all, audio... My album, by the way, Jay Graydon, Air for, Airplay for the Planet, was really the last of the analog. Yeah. And um, I mixed it analog. So I released it through Bandcamp on a remaster I just did a couple of months ago. And I sculpted that remaster, man. 
I mean, I dug in there. It's like, if when I get into sculpting a mix, it's like remix. It's like really remixing. And so I sculpted the shit out of this. But if you want to mention something on your website, they can get they can get it through Bandcamp. And okay. I got to tell you, the ninety six the ninety six K they got something that'll play ninety six K. It's worth it. Yeah, because the I, source is analog. And it never got trashed. You know. Wow. Well, that you know, I'm a real. I, I actually, you know, my it's not a dream. I actually think it's going to happen. In that MP3, it's obviously it's it's universal. Uh, most people listen to music MP3, but I think there's a more discerning audience that is not going to tolerate MP3, and they're going to want much higher quality files. And I think that's coming. I think that's kind of the next generation. I hope so, man. I just hope it doesn't die, man. That's perfect, Jay. Let's, let's definitely talk next week. Buy some good stuff at Costco. Hey, can you imagine two old guys going in there? They think we're a couple of dick smokers, man. We're <laughs> shopping out of one cart. And, uh, you know, so sometimes Don plays the gay part, and we just we pre- we laugh at the long story, man. Uh, but, if, you um, get a, if you get a chance, uh, take a photo on your phone and send it to me. <laughs> All right, Michael. Hey, listen, we can always do another one of these too. You know, we just we just I got think, going. There's, we, we, I, we could be doing this for days. I look forward to it. I'll call you. Thanks, Michael. Thank Take you. care, Take bro. Bye bye. You too. Bye.